Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Hope you had a a good Thanksgiving in spite of, I won't say it, but, uh, <clears throat> no, okay. Uh, but last, <laughs> let's move on. But if you're visiting, really glad you're here and I uh, hope you're not from Michigan, but, uh, and if you're online watching, we're glad you're here too. Hope you're having a good morning. But uh, last weekend of November means that we're rounding the corner and, and we're headed towards Christmas. Uh, so let me ask this, how many of you, and I, I learned last night, this might not be a tradition here, but how many of you have already written your Christmas wish list? Okay, it's obviously not a tradition here. How do you let people know? I don't know how that works. Okay, but how many of you have started Christmas shopping? Okay, now watch this one. This was weird. How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Is there anyone? Yeah, you overachievers. <laughs> They'll be doing a workshop. Okay. But uh, four weeks out from Christmas uh, means we're moving into the season of Advent, and depending on your, if you were brought up in the church, if you were brought up in a more traditional church, like Catholic church or uh, Lutheran church, etc., uh, you may or may not be uh, familiar with different church seasons throughout the year. Uh, Advent is a season, uh, the four weekends leading up to Christmas, where we're focusing on and reminding ourselves and being encouraged by our belief that uh, Jesus, the Son of God, once came to earth as a little baby boy, the first Advent Christmas, and that one day he's going to return as a uh, mighty warrior, conquering king, to, uh, to rid the world of, uh, world of evil and to make everything right. And we call that the second advent or a second coming. And advent comes from the Latin word. You can throw this up, the Latin word adventus. You can see there, the, means the coming or the arrival. In this season of advent, basically we're preparing ourselves for the arrival of Jesus. Advent helps us get in touch with our longing for his uh, for his return uh, one day, but also our longing for his presence right now. And as we near the end of 2023, again, it's been another year of ups and downs and curves, etc. cetera. And, uh, uh, and so one of the themes of Advent that I've, I've always really enjoyed is the, uh, uh, it's a theme of light shining into dark places when we look at this season. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but this year, I'm not sure why, but the sort of the seasonal early darkness, you know, getting dark at like 4.30 has really got to me. But I am enjoying going to bed at 6.30. But uh, <laughs> so it has, it has its upside. But, uh, but no, it's really got to me. And, and, and I'm, I notice more, I've always been, I've always loved sunrises and sunsets. But this year, um, just the, the, the sun breaking through the, you know, the clouds or over the horizon has been incredibly meaningful to me. Now, one of my favorite Christmas Bible verses is found in, uh, in Isaiah 9. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And since I was a little boy, that verse that always came around at Christmas uh, has always just warmed me on the inside. I didn't even know what it meant, but I thought, man, whatever that is, that's cool. And now that I'm older and I realize what they're talking about is basically that's a description of what the arrival of Jesus is like. 
It's like a bright light shining into a, into a dark space. And so our hope this Advent season for all of you is that you uh, would have a refreshing, hope-giving encounter with Jesus, that you'd have a, just a sense of his light shining into any dark rooms in, in your life. Uh, so we've entitled our series, The First Christmas According to Luke. And, and so to get us ready for Christmas this year, we're going to be looking at the first chapter and a half of, of Luke, studying his account of the first Christmas. So let's pray, and then we will we'll jump into to Luke 1. So Lord, I thank you for uh, just another Sunday morning to gather. I thank you for each one that's here. I thank you for each one watching online. Um, I, I do pray, Lord, would you, would you just come today and shine your light on each one of us? Lord, would there be a, would you come warm and encourage our hearts with your presence? Uh, get us ready, get us ready for, for your arrival. Get us ready, even as I'm speaking, for what you want to do today. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this weekend we're looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 25. And here's a little bit of Bible trivia. Does anyone know what the longest chapter is in the New Testament? Luke chapter 1? <laughs> Come on. Nobody wins. Okay, but Luke chapter 1 has 80 verses. Does anyone know? You'll get this. What's the longest chapter in the Old Testament? Psalm 119. And it has 176 verses. Obviously, David was struggling to get to the point. Uh, he could have used an editor, I think. A little bit of repetition. I'll talk to him uh, one day about that. But okay, let's start setting it up. Uh, uh, what Luke has to say, the first four verses are a great introduction. Luke says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the, uh, from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." Okay, so uh, Gospel of Luke is written by Luke. Luke's believed to have been a Gentile, meaning he was not a Jew. He was known as the beloved physician. So Luke was a doctor. Uh, he was a co-worker, personal physician to, and friend of the Apostle Paul, who is one of the heroes of the New Testament. Uh, the writings of Luke, he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, uh, demonstrate uh, that he was a well-educated man. They, they think he may have been homeschooled. Uh, he, was also, <laughs> he was also an historian, which is really good news for us. Luke wrote his account of the life of Jesus somewhere around between 60 and 80 AD, which is approximately 30 to 50 years after Jesus you know, was walked the earth, had died and come back to life. And this letter is written to someone uh, named or, or called the most excellent Theophilus, who was believed to have been a Roman official, uh, a Roman official who had come to faith, who had come to believe in Jesus. <clears throat> and so Luke has taken it on himself to carefully investigate the story of Jesus, which means he's you know, he's uh, researching any existing documents, including like microfiche, etc., and, and uh, he's interviewing all these people who had been eyewitnesses to the life, death, and life 
of Jesus, all so that this man, Theophilus, and thankfully all of us would have certainty of the things that we have been taught. Okay, so with that introduction, Luke starts his account of the story of Jesus. But what's interesting to me is that the story of Jesus, it doesn't start with Jesus. And I'll be coming back to that theme over and over. But Luke uh, 1 verse 5 says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So again, the story doesn't start with Jesus. It starts with this elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. His wife is Elizabeth. And, and in describing Elizabeth, they make a point that she's barren, that she is a childless woman. They're really good people, you know, blameless in following the commands of God. But again, they make this point that they don't have any children. They don't have a child. And in many cultures today, let alone in, uh, uh, in first century Israel, to be childless, is, that's a hard road. That's, a, that's, a, that's an aching disappointment. And, and especially in first century Israel, it would have been almost on the same level as a, a sense of either being cursed or punished by God. Uh, we'll see later that Elizabeth saw her barrenness as a disgrace among the people. Meaning, uh, I think it's fair to assume that people would have looked at this older couple and judged them like, yeah, he's a priest, yeah. You know, they're, they're good people, but mm, they must have done something. They must have done something to deserve this. And, and so this is, this is uh, uh, in the story of Jesus, our first people again are Zechariah and Elizabeth. So my, my first point is this. Number one, God chooses unlikely people. God chooses unlikely people to, to fulfill his promises and accomplish his plans on, on earth. And we're going to see here in a little bit that God's plan for this elderly, barren couple, his plan is, oh yeah, you're, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a very special child, a very special little boy. And I sometimes wonder, if you were raised in the church, I wish I had one of those. Uh, remember the movie Men in Black? Okay, I've not seen it, but Andrew's told me about it. But they have a thing called a neuralizer, right? You know, aliens, and they don't want people to remember. They do that, and everyone, everyone forgets you know, what they just went through. And sometimes I wish... I could do that to myself when I read the Bible, that I could read this story for the first time. Because just looking at all of you, some of you have heard this, like every year of your life that you could remember, you've heard this story, but it would be so good to read it, you know, from a fresh perspective. And so when I look at who God is choosing, there's a part of me goes, well, wait a minute, God. Like, uh, if, I, if I may uh, give my, uh, <laughs> my opinion here, why didn't you pick a younger couple? Why didn't you pick, I mean, there had to be a couple who, you know, could have children. Like, why didn't you, why didn't you pick them uh, to do this, you know, to carry out your plan? But, but again, there's something, there's a theme all throughout the Bible that God seems to love choosing unlikely people. And that should be encouraging to you and I. It's a reminder that, you know, again, the Bible, it, it's full of all these people that we, sometimes we put them on pedestals that they really aren't meant to be on because they are just regular uh, people like you and me, and yet God was, God is able to do amazing things through uh, them, through us. 
You know, look at the kind of people that God chooses for his team. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. That's the team. That's the kind of team that he chooses. And so what we'll see in this little series is the story of the first Christmas is, is full of a cast of very unlikely people. Another thing, just as we meet this couple, that's probably lost on us, but not to this first century uh, Jewish people in the story, because they would have been raised, they would, they would be, uh, from childhood, they would be saturated with, with uh, the Old Testament, with the story of, of Israel. And so God's choosing of Zechariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple, to have a special son, would have stirred and something in them. It would have stirred a thought of, hey, wait a minute, this looks really familiar. I wonder what God uh, is up to. And so this choosing of a couple would have reminded them of another elderly couple. Who do you think that is? Abraham and Sarah. Everyone wins. But they, again, way back in Genesis, I think it's like Genesis 13, God chooses another elderly, barren couple to be the parents of his chosen people, the Israelites. And, and now the people are like, hey, this, wait a minute, this looks a lot like that. I wonder, I wonder what God is up to. So the story continues. Zechariah's priestly division is on duty. There would have been 24 priestly divisions with 300 priests in each division. And what a coincidence, uh, he was chosen. He was chosen by Lot, basically like a roll of the dice, to go into the temple to burn incense. And so he goes in and he's going about his priestly duties when an angel appears. Uh, Verse 13 says this, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of Israel to the Lord, many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And again, I want to point out that this story of Jesus doesn't start with Jesus. It starts with people. And you know, Luke, I was thinking about this. Luke Luke could have started his story this way. Uh, One day, most excellent Theo, Jesus just showed up in Jerusalem, sort of like Terminator, but he would have been clothed. And uh, he was fully God, fully man all at the same time. And he walked into the city 
and, and started preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Like, like he could have done that, couldn't he? Again, he had to, you know, because we know the story. We whip through it way too quick, but he, but he could have just done this all himself. Uh, and in a sense, you could say he does do it all himself, which is mostly true. But, but, but this story teaches us that, that we have a role. We have a part to play. Uh, so God not only chooses unlikely people, number two, God invites unlikely people to partner with him. Uh, the story of the first Christmas is a reminder that God, uh, you know, he wants unlikely people to participate. He wants us to participate in the work that he's doing. And I remember my dad once saying something like, I'll give you something to cry about. No, he would say, uh, he never said that. You never said that, dad. You said other things though, dad. But, uh, <clears throat> but my dad used to say this, uh, God doesn't need you, he wants you. Okay, that's really good. Think about that. God doesn't need you. He wants you. Like, let that settle in. Would that make a difference in your life to know that God, God doesn't need you, but boy, oh boy, does he want you. And at a time of, you know, writing wish lists, um, does it make a difference to you that not just at Christmas, but every day, 365 days of the year, you are on God's wish list. He wants you. He, he wants you. And I, and I think, you know, in this world that's dark and getting darker, I think one of the reasons is because we've forgotten, whether you go to church or not, we've forgotten just how much God wants us and how much uh, God loves us and just how great his love is. There's an old hymn that came to mind let me read a couple verses you might be familiar to you. It's called The Love of God. It says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The wandering child is reconciled by God's beloved son. The aching soul again made whole and priceless pardon won. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and everyone a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. You know, in this season of Advent, uh, we're preparing ourselves for the arrival of Jesus. And I, uh, just with that, the context of that, the, the lyrics of that song, uh, his arrival is not, he's not coming to punish us. He's not an angry God He's coming to, to rescue us, to restore us. He's coming because he loves us. He's coming because he wants us. <clears throat> and just in the context of this story, he doesn't just want us as extras in the film he's making. Like it's like, okay, okay, all of you people just go stand over there. Look, you know, look, you know, interested, but don't look into the camera. It's like, no, he doesn't just want us to be extras. God has significant roles for each one of us. And, and just like in the story, the role that he's given us 
the roles that he's given us are mostly impossible for us on our own, but under his direction, totally possible with him. One of the themes of the first Christmas story is for, for it to work, there has to be a partnering with the natural, us, and the supernatural, God. Second Corinthians 4 verse 5 says this, Paul says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In this work that we've been invited into, that we have a role to play, that is such a good reminder that we are the jars of clay, but he is the treasure that makes, that fills those jars of clay and makes it all possible. So the angel shows up, and like every time an angel shows up, uh, he says the words, do not be afraid, because rightfully so, the person is afraid. And, and notice this, this, I find this to be such a, just a very personal touch from God. Uh, notice that the angel says, basically the first thing he says is, hey, your prayer has been heard. And, and, and then he goes on to you know, lay out the plan. But it's, it, what I read in that, it's like God is saying to Zechariah and Elizabeth, hey, be, before you say anything else to him, Gabriel, the angel, uh, I want you to encourage him. I want you to love on him. I want you to remind him, hey, you're not just like programmed drones to carry out my work. I know you, Zechariah and Elizabeth. I know what's heavy on your hearts. I've heard your prayers. That's such a personal touch. It's like God saying, hey, Gabriel, don't get to the plan too quick. I know you're all about the task, Gabriel. But start by loving on this couple with encouraging words. And so then the, the, the angel lays out the, the, the plan, the role God has for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's, you guys are going to be parents to a very special little boy. And, and he, wants to, uh, he wants them to name him John. And we'll see that later in the story. Um, but which means God has been gracious or God has shown favor. It says that John will be a delight and joy to his folks and to others. It says that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. It says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And we're going to see evidence of that in, in a couple weeks. And, and then what will John's role be? John basically is a forerunner. And he, his, his purpose in life is to prepare the way for Jesus. And more specifically, he will go ahead to get people ready to meet Jesus. And again, we'll talk more about John's role in a few weeks, but I wanna come back to this point I've been saying over and over. Isn't it interesting how the story of Jesus doesn't start with Jesus? It starts with people. That they, again, it just, it screams how much God chooses unlikely people and, and has a, a role for us to play in what he's doing on earth. Uh, and, and, and really what we see is this role of preparing others for, to meet Jesus. And with that in mind, if you were here last weekend, this brought, brought to mind uh, the, the series we wrapped up last weekend. And just we're looking at Daniel. If you didn't hear it, um, it may be what's missing in your life. And uh, you can go to our website to listen. But, but in that story, just think back. Daniel, Daniel, mostly without words, 
through his obedience to the role God had given him. And, and again, you know, his role was really what we see as his character, his work ethic, the way he lived his life. Him walking that out, playing his part in the story was used by God to prepare the heart of the king, King Darius, to, to meet God and to really, in the story, to give his life, to put his trust and hope in God. And I believe the role John was made for, it was very specific for him. And, and uh, I believe that role is, is one that we've, we have also been made for. There's just this theme all throughout the Bible that through our words, through our actions, that God wants to use you and use me to prepare the hearts of other people to meet Jesus, to be introduced to Jesus. And again, this role is made possible by the Holy Spirit filling us, the treasure, filling these jars of clay and making us bright. Uh, so God invites unlikely people to partner with him. And then my final point, uh, God is faithful to do what he says he will do. And, you know, the angel shares the plan and Zechariah is struggling to believe, like, man, struggling to believe that that's even possible. Um, but even in his fear and doubt, it's interesting to me that he had enough sense not to um, upset his wife. I thought it was interesting. Verse 18, he says, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife, she's not old, but she is well along in years. That's a pretty smart guy. Young men, write that down. <laughs> Don't call your wife old. <laughs> but uh, Little, little bit of marriage advice there. But I don't, I don't know if I blame Zechariah for doubting. And again, I, I've, never, uh, I've never been in the presence of an angelic being, you know, glowing, shining, making me fearful. I don't, I don't know what that's like, but I, I think it still would have been hard. Well, well, obviously it was. The story tells us that. It still would have been hard to believe. Like, can God really do? Can he really do what he says he's going to do? Like, can he really do what to me seems impossible? And I really like the way the angel responds to Zechariah's doubt. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. And when I read that, I, I like to sort of imagine the story. And I, I imagine Gabriel getting a little frustrated with Zechariah, you know, like sort of hands on his hips, looking at this old guy and just saying, are you kidding me? Like, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. You know, like I, I stand in the presence of God. I park my Tesla like four spots away from where Jesus parks his Tesla. You know, I'm here because God sent me to you with this good news. Like, this is the plan of God, I'm telling you. And uh, again, I'm having fun with that. But, and I don't really understand the punishment of, of him being mute until it happens. But I, I have some thoughts. But, uh, but I know that him being made mute would, would really have added to the suspense of the story. Because verse 22, you know, you can see the people, the people are waiting, like, why is it taking so long, you know, uh, him to do his priestly duties there. And when he finally does come out, he can't speak. And he's, you know, no, but he's, but he's, you know, he's, he's trying to gesture. <clears throat> he's, you know, he's gesturing crazy. And the people are like, whoa, what is going on? Something must be up. And then this part of the story, it's going to continue next weekend, but this part of the story 
It ends with old Zechariah going home to old Elizabeth, his wife, and, uh, oh, sorry, uh, well along in years, Elizabeth, uh, probably very slim. And next we read, just like the angel said, God would do for this unlikely couple that, that she, this barren woman, is now pregnant. Uh, and again, we'll continue the story. So why don't we have the worship team come back? I want to I wanna end with, with this. Uh, as we move into this Advent season, again, the season of preparation for, for his arrival, for the arrival of Jesus, I, I believe uh, God is wanting to stir our faith, like this third point, in his ability to do what he says he will do. To believe that this story, that maybe you've heard it over and over and over and over, that, that, that in all, and really all the unlikely ways of God, to believe that they really are, are true. To believe that the promises of God that he's made to you, uh, for your loved ones, and just that, that they really are true and they really can be trusted. And when I look at this story, um, and I look at Zechariah's doubt, which which I, boy, I mean, who doesn't doubt, right? Who doesn't, who doesn't question the ways of God? And I'm so glad in this story that Gabriel doesn't go, excuse me? Like, you're, you're doubting? You lack faith? You question God's ability? Well, how dare you? Strike three, buddy, you're out. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go find someone else. Like, aren't you glad that God is not thrown off by our humanity? That he's not thrown off by our very natural doubt and questioning of his ways? And, and I think in, in this Advent season, he wants to encourage us, encourage us in our belief. And there's a, there's a story in the book of John, and I won't get into the whole story, but, there, but, but where people are struggling, they're struggling to believe. Uh, they're struggling to believe Jesus is who he says he is. <clears throat> John 6, 28, the people asked, then they asked him, <clears throat> excuse me, what must, what must we do to, to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And, and it's interesting to me, the work of God for us to believe the story for us to believe that God chooses unlikely people like you and me, for us to believe that God has a significant role for us to play in our lives. It gives incredible purpose to our lives for us to also believe that God can do, uh, uh, can do what he says that he's going to do. What I read in that verse is it's going to take work. It's going to take work for us to believe that it's not going to just come overnight. It's, it's going to take work. And so why don't we stand up in this Advent season? Again, I believe that the treasure wants to come, wants to arrive and fill all these jars of clay that I see before me. And he wants to help us do that work. He wants to help us uh, uh, in our place of, of struggling to believe. Well, Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.